one who deserves all praise and all honor, all glory. Father, there is none like you. And so we take a couple of moments, Lord, before we listen to your word, worship you by listening to your word. We take a couple of moments because some of us have come in with some deep things, things that we carry, worries that we take with us, stresses that we walk around with. Some of us walk with the circumstances and pain that we just don't know how to handle. But we're confident that you know how to handle. And so, Father, I pray even for those who don't know how to handle it and are not sure that you know how, I ask, oh God, that you move in a mighty way within this group of people, within the people, within the sound of my voice. And I ask, O Lord, that your Holy Spirit would persevere and strengthen, encourage and embolden. Help us to be obedient and broken before you. Father, we come before your word with fear and trepidation. It's a powerful word. It's a mighty word. It's a word that comes from your lips. And so we ask, O God, that we not take it lightly, but that in fact we would be humble before you, open to what you have to say, more important than our next text message, more important than our next phone call, more important than our Facebook update, is your word being spoken into our heart. So Holy Spirit, use this moment right now to speak into the lives of this, your people. I also pray, oh God, if there are those here who, who have not yet bowed the knee to Christ, that today would be a, a different day. Today would be a transformation day. Today would be a new day in submission to you. I thank you for my friends. I pray for the families, oh God. I pray for the singles. And I ask that you would have your way in and through this place, in and through our lives, for we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. So glad to see you today. Um, uh, for those of you who don't know, uh, my name is Pastor Edwin. I'm one of the pastors here at this church. You go, but I've been coming for the last two weeks, and we've seen the other guy, and quite frankly, we like him better. I agree. Me too. Um, and he's awesome. Aren't we grateful for Gus and how amazing he delivers God's word? Isn't that just good? Amen. It's true. We praise God for Gus. Um, uh, so stick around. He's not going anywhere. He'll stick around, and, and you stick around, and he'll, he'll be preaching again. We're, we're going to start a two-week series. And the series is a very sensitive one. It's about persevering when times are tough. When things get difficult, we're not going to be talking about what to do when the, when the, you know, when the happy times come in. We're not going to talk about the times of, you know, how to pack on the joy when the marriage is already good. We're not going to talk about how, what to do when your kids are already scoring A's, making the team, and applying to the colleges. We're talking about something different today. We're talking about persevering. We're talking about what you do when nothing turns out the way you want it to. That's what we're going to talk about today. When the doctor says, 
inoperable. When the spouse says, I can't do this anymore. When the very young child says, pregnant. What do you do when the job says, we appreciate your services, but your services are no longer needed? Just what do you do? And for the next two weeks, today I'm going to give you an idea. Next week I'm going to give you three practical exercises you don't want to miss next week. If you're here, this is the way our sermon series work here. You come in in week one and you kind of get sort of information and, and, and uh, the first part. And then the next week of the sermon you get a little bit more. And then, you know, it's, so if it's a four-week series, it, it kind of comes together as one kind of idea. So next week we're going to talk about three exercises that you can do. But this week we're just going to talk about the problem and talk about an idea that God has put all over his word. So, I need you to pay attention. I need you to put your thinking cap on. We're going to be talking about some, some really heavy stuff. I want to tell you about a, a moment uh, in my life. Um, I, I, I have a mom who's... Anybody here have a parent that's sick? Like, you know, emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, just whatever. Like, sick, you have to deal with that. Boy, there, there's a... When you have a parent that's chronically sick, there is a unique set of emotions that are connected with that. There's a sense where, you know, you, uh, I mean, Tuesday you could, just the highest high, you go, you know, uh, the doctor said, boy, she should have been done by now and this would have been the end. And then, and, and, and oh man, look, they opened their eyes and they're doing well. And wonderful things are happening. And then the very next day, the doctor says, come in. I don't know how much time she had. There's a unique set of peaks and valleys that are associated with that. And those of you who know, I remember I was young. It was wintertime. And um, my mother, who struggled with the emotional and mental uh, disorders for as long as I can remember, uh, she gave an emergency phone call to my house and said, Edwin, they're going to take me away. Now, that has an emotional impact on me that doesn't have on you. I remember as a small child them taking my mother away in a, uh, uh, the ambulance and them strapping her down and her screaming and it just wasn't a good scene. And so, when, the, when she told me that, I just, I don't know if I even responded. I just, I remember running out of the house. It was wintertime. I don't think I had socks on. Um, I just ran out of the house. And I ran to, because she lived about two blocks away from me. And so I ran there, and I got there, and here's what I did. I went up to her, and the, uh, the person who had called police and called an ambulance and all that other stuff for stupid stuff, the home attendant who, this is not a, an indictment on home attendants. I'm just saying this particular home attendant. Just overreacted and was really foolish. And, and she did that. And I got there and the police were already there. 
And I went to my mother with great conviction and great faith in God. And I said, so you know, you're going to go to sleep on your bed tonight. No matter what happens today, you're going to sleep on your bed. I guarantee you that. And I had faith that that would happen. And so the, the, the police officer who was really, incon- you know, just insensitive, as, and again, not an indictment on all police, I'm just saying the circumstances. I had an insensitive police officer. And, uh, and then he said, I got to call the ambulance. He said, no, you don't. No, you don't. We got this. this is, I'm already here. She's fine. There's nothing wrong with her. You guys can go now. No, I already called them. I got to do it. Ambulance comes in. She doesn't have to go away. Yeah, she's got to go away with us. No, you don't. No, you don't. No, yeah, she does. They put cuffs on her because the police were there. They, she couldn't be. I t- when I tell you the amount of emotion and rage and uh, just wanting to maybe be violent against them was intense. I can't. I can't describe it to you, the emotion. And so we went in and I got into the ambulance and said, you could take those off. She does, she's not a threat to anybody. And I said, no, this is protocol and blah, blah, blah. Protocol. We go in and I coach my mom. I said, mom, this is going to be fine. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to say this. You're going to say this. I've been through this before. I've been through this since I was five years old. I know what to say. I know how to get out of these circumstances. Here's what you're going to say. Here's what you're going to do. Here's how you're going to behave. If you can hold it together for 15 minutes, we're out of here. I promise. You're going to sleep in your bed tonight. There was a moment where we met with the doctor where I recognized that all was lost. That there was her response to the doctors, her erratic statements, her, her level of tension was was not one that was going to allow them to be comfortable saying she could come home. And so when he kind of put the stamp on the piece of paper and said, no, 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 she's going to go in, I thought about for a second taking a chair and throwing it through the window so that they would allow me into the, because have you, and, and this is an indictment on a particular hospital. Anybody here ever been to Woodhall? Okay, anybody here? Yeah, I'm glad you're still alive. Um, yeah. Woodhall is a, just avoid Woodhall with all, you, you know, with all your might. Like if you have a common cold, go somewhere else. And just awful hospital. Well, the fifth floor on Woodhall at the time, if you work at Woodhall, I'm really sorry about that statement. Um, no, I'm not. Um, and so find another hospital. Um, so, okay. Uh, the fifth floor at Woodhall is, I can only compare it to Rikers Island. It's... The fifth floor of Woodhall is a terrible place. Well, you know what happened, right? What happened is that she was going to be put in that fifth floor with those people. Now, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen. Fifth floor feels like Rikers Island. My mom is five foot tall. What do you think is going on in my heart? I gotta protect her. She's listen to me. She's my mom. She's my mom. Eventually she collapsed into a chair because she knew if she just feigned sleep or that nobody would disturb her, or at least disturb her that much. 
I just saw her roll away. Here's why I tell you this story. I had faith that she would sleep in her bed that day. She did not sleep in her bed that month. I had faith that God was going to turn this around because God wants me to honor my mother and my father and I was here. I had scriptures that I could have pulled out. I had a God who was powerful and mighty who had parted seas and healed lepers, made the blind to see and the lame to walk. I had a God who was all-powerful, all the time, ever-present, who didn't seem to show up, who seemed to take the day off. I, I wonder, am, am I the only one who's ever gone through something like that? Where you go, don't worry, baby, God's going to show up Things are going to go, it's going to be just fine. And, and am, I, am I the only one who's ever had a circumstance where you go, God, I'm standing on your word. I trust you completely. I give my life, my heart, my future, my thoughts, my hopes, my idea, my family, my relationship, all my stuff, all that I am, I leave in your hands. I trust you for this great thing. And, and, and God seems to be on vacation. And you're not asking for sin. You're asking for a good thing. You've, you've been walking with Christ and, 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 and all you want is a wife. All you want is a husband. And so you walk in Christ and you love Jesus and you go... God, I think I'm so ready for this marital thing. I'm, I mean, I'm really ready. I want kids. I want, I want the whole shebang. I want it all. And God, just years pass. You just go, God, where are you? Why aren't you answering this prayer? You know, you're married, and you go, you know what? My spouse is, is acting erratically, misbehaving perhaps. And you say, you know what? God, I trust you. I'm gonna do, I'm gonna do what your word says to do. And and just I, I I'm trusting you for good things in the future. And it just seems to be getting more volatile. Your kid who you love and you thought you raised so well is just making decisions that are making you their Facebook page makes you cringe. And you see that, and you experience that, and you go, and, and you know, here's the thing, by, by the way, if you're young, let me tell you why your parents freak out when they see stuff like that. The reason is, is because they have some experience, so they know where that road is going. You only see one date. They see you know, having to babysit your grandkid, you know, your child, their grandkid, because you made some wrong decisions that night with that person. They see having to pick you up at a police station because they can see what's going to happen. But your child, who you love and who you raise, and you said, God, protect this kid. Help them not to go the wrong way. And it just, listen, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. In the moment where you go to the doctor and you go, doctor, I feel good. I feel good. I think the results are going to come back better than last month. 
I feel good. And then he tells you, oh man, oh man, it's, it's not good. It's not good. And it's in moments like this, and it's a universal experience. None of us are exempt from this. This is something that we all experience, whether you're in the hospital with your mom, or you're in the bedroom with your child, whether you're in the doctor's office with, with just your thoughts and thinking, how am I going to get through this? Whether you're in the office trying to figure out how this pink slip got on your desk. There's a sort of a universal response that comes to us that says this, I, I don't know what you're doing here, God. You are not trustworthy. You, I put my life in your hands. I put my kids in your hands. I put my hopes and dreams in your hands. I put my vocation in your hands. And it seems like you've trampled on them. What do you do? What do you do when stuff around you starts to fall apart? The response for many of us, listen to me, the response for many of us is simple. God, I'm leaving. I don't like our relationship anymore. You did not hold your end of the bargain. Now, that's, I've seen this as a pastor. I've seen this all the time. All the time. I see people come in, say, I just love Jesus. Maybe that's your story. I mean, that could be your story. You're sitting here, and you've come back after being away from serving God, coming to church, and this is like your first week, and you're thinking, who told the pastor about me? And it's like, you know, and you're, and you're here, and you're thinking, yep, that's exactly what happened. So-and-so died. So-and-so went on the wrong tracks. I, I, I persevered and persevered, and bad thing after bad thing after bad, I just, just left, and I couldn't stick it out anymore. You're here on the right day. God wanted you here. God knows that all of us are going to experience moments where we feel he's not on the job, where we feel he's taking a vacation, where we feel like he's punishing us from some old thing we did back there. Listen, today we're going to talk about how sometimes God doesn't give us what we want and what God calls us to do during those times. It's a simple word. It's persevere. Now somebody say that, persevere. Now today, I'm going to teach you how to persevere in Christ. God knows that many of us will struggle with this. Many of us will go, listen, if you're breathing and you're older than one, you're going to experience this. God knows this about us, and he put an entire book, well, actually put more than that, but he put an entire book in the Bible about persevering. It's in the book of Hebrews. Now, if you don't have your Bible in your bulletins, that multi-page uh, thing that we give you, 
there's a, a, a scripture in there. It's Hebrews 11. We're going to be moving around in Hebrews 11, starting with 1039. But now I want you to look up. God knows that you and I have a quit switch. God knows that you and I will wrestle with forsaking him, running from him. God knows that you and I have a propensity that no matter how good God has been, to run away from him. God knows that about you. He knows that. God knows that you can run away from him while sitting in your same chair. God knows that you could come to church for the next 50 years and have run away from him 30 years ago. God knows that. And because he knows that, he put it in his word. He's given us some instruction on exactly how do we go through those tough times. Well, I want to point to you to first uh, chapter 30, uh, chapter 10, verse 39. And here's the first uh, words that we're going to read. Now, let's read verse 39. But we are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Listen to me. I have great hopes for you. I have great hopes that you are not the ones who get a little opposition, a little tension, a little fight coming at you and go, ah, and then run the other way. I have great hope in you that you're those who stand firm. And the Bible says, yeah, yeah, yeah. not us Christ followers. We aren't those. Now, let me give you a little bit uh, why uh, this book is in the Bible. Um, after Jesus died, rose again, taught his disciples, and ascended to the Father, after that happened, the gospel started to spread like crazy. The gospel started to spread all over the place. But here's the problem. You know how, like, um, some of us don't want to come to Christ, and, you know, you, some of your friends don't want to come to Christ because they think of well, what will my friends think of me and all that other stuff? Well, yeah, that is nothing in comparison to the first century. You could lose, literally, if you came to Christ in the first century, and still, to this day, in, the, in different places of the world, if you come to Christ, it could mean your life. Like, the kind of tev- television evangelists, what they get away with here in America, talking about faith, would not fly in most places in the world. Because most places in the world, the, the church is persecuted. The church is... Uh, just, just the other day, 6,500 Bibles were confiscated from churches um, in this part of the world by Muslim believers because they didn't want Christians to share the gospel. Persecution goes on daily. There were more people... There were more people who died in the name of Christ in the 20th century than did in the 19th centuries before it. If you add all 19th centuries up together, they don't come up to the same number as how many martyrs died in the 20th century sharing the gospel. That's how hostile the world is. 
This is the kind of world that the gospel came into. And so in the book of Hebrews, they proclaimed the gospel. People came to faith, but you know what started to happen? They started to lose their business. Knowing Jesus meant peace, at least externally, worldly peace. Loving surrender, I'm uh, I'm sorry, not knowing Jesus meant peace externally, financially, familially, relationally. Knowing Jesus meant discord. So these believers that would know Jesus they would have to count the cost. They, some of them lost their businesses. Some of them were kicked out of their social sectors. Some of them were kicked out of their families. Still happened. All three still happen today. When they came to Christ, they had to count the cost. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to these people, and he goes, he knows that all of them, these Hebrews, they want to run back to Judaism. It's what they knew. It's, they want to go back. And isn't that the sort of the, the bent of our heart to run back to what was usual for us, normal? If you drank, you run back to drinking. If you drugged, you run back to drugging. If you're uh, 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 promiscuous, you run back to promiscuity. If, you, if you're, yeah, right, right. It's, it's just our nature. You know what? It's, this is, Jesus thing is not working. I might as well yell. I might as well scream. I might as well act the fool. I might as well, I might as well go back to my bad habits. They were going back. Um, a, a commentator said this about the book of Hebrews. He said, Many Jewish believers, having stepped out of Ju- Judaism into Christianity, want to reverse their course in, an order, in order to escape persecution by their countrymen. The writer of Hebrews exhorts them to go on to perfection. His appeal is based on the superiority of Christ and the Judaic system. Christ is better than the angels, for they worship him. He is better than Moses, for he created him. He is better than the Aaronic priesthood, for his sacrifice was once for all time. He's better than the law, for he mediates a better covenant. In short, there is more to be gained in Christ than to be lost in Judaism. See, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying, I don't want you to go back. I don't want you to, I know things are tough. I know you're losing your jobs. I know your families are turning your back on you. I know your, your uh, 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 cultural and societal, uh, their cultural and societal backs are being turned on you. But he says, listen to me. I want you to persevere. I want you to persevere. Now, the way we persevere is what we're going to talk about next week. But I want you to see a, a clue in this week. Go to, I think, your, uh, verse 13. It's the very next. Um, all these people, so let me just say, in chapter 11, it's like the hall of faith. So it talks about the definition of faith, and it talks about all these great things. And it literally, listen to me, in chapter 11, if you want to see the entire Bible, uh, the entire Old Testament, it goes from Genesis, from creation, to the exile. Like, it just does the whole Old Testament in one chapter. It's fascinating. We can't look through it all. But let's jump to verse 13. In fact, you can read verse 13 through 16 at home. Uh, I want you to jump to verse 32. So, after the writer of Hebrews said, 
all these things. Hey, look at all these wonderful things. Look at Abraham. Look at Moses. Look at all these guys who believed God and were rewarded for their faith. He says in verse 32, And what more shall I say? I do not have the time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms. Look at me. Look at me. The faith that they're talking about here is not the faith in circumstances. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, here's here's what I'm saying. Some of us go wrong when we say, God, I have faith that the boss is going to give me that raise or I'm going to get that promotion. Listen to me. You hurt yourself when you do that. God, I have faith that you're going to give me the very best. That you can say. But do you know that sometimes giving you the very best means not giving you the promotion? Any of you who have kids know all about that, right? You ask a kid, what is the very best food I could serve you? Five years old, what's their answer? Anybody know? Ice cream, candy, potato chips, right? But now for them, that would be the very best. But you know, if you're a good parent, you go, no, 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 won't be feeding you that. That would not be the very best for you. I'm going to give you vegetables and broccoli and beans and these things so that you grow big and strong, right? And so, because you know that as a parent, this is the best for them. Is it possible that you know better than your kids? Anybody know? Nobody? No? You you think your kids know better than you? Yeah? Yeah? That's good. That's good. Right? Okay, even if you don't have kids, let's imagine you have kids. Is it possible that you would know better than your kids? Of course. Of course. Now watch this. You know why? Because you're older, you're wiser. You're more experienced. You, you have more life. Listen. Is it possible that God knows better than you? Absolutely. And so sometimes the very best, know this, God cannot help but give you his very best. But sometimes the gift that God gives you is sometimes wrapped in a paper called pain. And it's in moments like that he says, trust me. Trust me, I'm worthy of your trust. I'll persevere you. So he says, what more shall I say about all these other guys who through faith conquered kingdoms? Let me ask you something. I got a good question for you. How did they conquer kingdoms? Anybody know? Who was it? Yes, thank you. All right, my public school educated people, please come in and, and, and try to, This is interactive, okay? Well, let's work together on this, all right? All right? We're going to work together. These are not tough questions. You can do this. I have, I have faith in you, okay? Okay. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice. Anybody know how they administered justice? Through faith. That's exactly right. Nice, loud voice. Right. And gained what was promised. Anybody know how they gained what was promised? Yes, yes. And who shut the mouths of lions. Anybody know how they did that? Yes, yes, through faith. Um, and they quenched the fury of the flames. How did they do that? And escaped the edge of the sword. 
and whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies? Through faith, sure. And women received back their dead again, uh, uh, dead raised to life again. How'd they do that? Great. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection. How'd they do that? Whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. How'd that get in there? How'd that get in there? No, I want to go, can we go back to receiving our kids back? Can we go back to conquering kingdoms? All right, hey, how'd they, how were they, others were tortured and refused to be released. How'd they do that? Not so confident? Come on, folks. How'd they do that? Through faith in Christ. Listen to me. There is a faith that will cripple your faith that if you stay on this faith, it will be no faith at all. That faith is trusting on a circumstance rather than God. Listen to me. Listen, this is, listen we're no longer playing in the kiddie pool. I want to help you grow here. So I want you to come in a little closer because I've got to tell you something that's really important. Through faith in Christ. Not faith... See, our problem is, is that we say, I have faith that this circumstance will happen. I have faith that I'll get the raise from the job. Well, then your faith is not in Christ. Your faith is that you'll get... See, I have faith that my kid is going to turn around. Well, then your faith is not in Christ. Your faith is that the kid will turn around. By the way, the Bible speaks about this kind of faith, and it's legitimate so long as it's rooted in Christ. You go, oh, I have faith that the doctor's going to give me a better uh, uh, prognosis. And you, you don't have faith in Christ. You have faith in the doctor's prognosis. See, listen to me. Faith is only as strong as the object that you have faith in. I'm going to illustrate this. Say, for instance, remember what I just said? Faith is only as strong as the object that you have faith in. Now, I don't know about you, but I'd almost write that down. That was pretty profound. That was, I'd write that down. Say, for instance, I sit in your car. And uh, you're there and you're going to drive. And you snap on your seatbelt, Right? And uh, you go, hey, aren't you going to put on your seatbelt? I go, no. You go, well, what are you going to do? What I'm going to do is I'm going to strap on a very long, wet noodle. That's what I'm going to do. And I put the wet noodle over me. Now I go, how much faith, that you, how much faith do you have that that seatbelt will hold you if we get into an accident? And you say... I have almost no faith. I just have enough faith just to put the darn thing on. I mean, I have like 5% faith that this thing will save. Honestly, you know, uh, I, we've seen enough car accidents where people died no matter whether they had their seatbelts on or not. I don't know if I have a lot of faith in this. In fact, I have a whole awful lot of doubt, but I have enough faith to put the seatbelt on. <laughs> well, you see, that's the difference between me and you. I have 100% faith in my wet noodle. 100%. I have... Zero doubts that if we get into an accident, 
I will be safe, and this wet noodle will protect me from all harm. We're going down the highway at about 75 miles an hour because everybody feels like they can only go 10 miles an hour faster because the police won't pull you over. Not necessarily true, but um, you go 10 miles an hour over the speed limit and you're going down the highway and we hit a tree, like slide out of control, hit a tree, 75 miles an hour. Now, let me ask you something. How good did your little faith work in that accident? Anybody know? Pretty darn good, right? Yeah. Five per- your 5% faith, listen to me, your 5% faith in that seatbelt was way more than my 100% faith in the wet noodle. Do you know why? Because faith is only as good as the object that it has faith in. Faith is only as strong as the object that it has faith in. Faith is only as powerful as the object that it has faith in. We do not have trust in the circumstance, in the job, in the kid getting better, in the spouse coming back, in the health improving, in the job getting me the wages. We don't have faith in that because that's precarious. Life is precarious. Life will go up, life will go down. People will disappoint you. People that you love will break your heart. Jobs that you thought were secure for a lifetime will all of a sudden give out. And if your faith is in these wet noodles, then what you will find is that you will not be able, your faith will not survive the accidents of life. So when we talk about faith, we're talking about faith in Christ. Let me tell you what that looks like. That looks like, Jesus, if my baby gets better, and and so you know, so we're clear on this, I want my baby to get better. Like I got four kids, I don't want none of them to get sick. Right? They cough and I cringe. I want her to get better. Heal her. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. But so you know, I trust you. So if the baby is healed or if the baby dies that same day, I have faith that you could heal her and I also have faith that if she dies, that you will take me through grieving and suffering in a way that brings you glory. Lord, I have... See, because my faith at that point is rooted in Christ. It's rooted that he knows what's best and I don't know everything and I can trust him. He is trustworthy. He's worthy of trust. Lord, I trust you. I trust you that my spouse will come back in a way that honors you and honors this family. But if they don't come back, I trust you that you will give me suffering grace to endure the singleness and raising these children. I have faith. See, it's a different thing. Because either way it goes, you know that God is giving you His very best. And if He did not, if He didn't hold back His own Son from suffering, then I don't think us 
I don't think we will get through life without suffering. You persevere by having faith in Christ. Others were tortured and refused to be released that they might gain a better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging while others were still chained and put in prison. How did the others face jeers and flogging? How did they do it? By faith in who? Jesus. Some uh, others were chained in prison. How did they face that? How did they endure that? Chains in prison. Through faith. In who? Jesus. They were stoned. How did they endure stoning? Anybody know? Through faith. In who? Jesus. They were sawed in two. How did they do that, class? How'd they do it? Through faith. In who? And here's, listen. Listen to me. Your little faith in Jesus is worth an awful lot of faith in you. Worth way more. Your little faith in Jesus is worth way more faith in your circumstances. Your little faith... Listen. They were sawed into... They were put to death by the sword. How'd they do it, class? Through faith. In who? They, were, they went about in sheepskins and goatskins. I'm not talking about the Sherlings in the 80s that we used to get from the right. Anybody remember that, right? Anybody used to sport those? Not me. We were poor. We were welfare poor. So um, I envied you guys. But um, not those kind. The kind that uh, let them walk around with dead animals on their back until other animals mauled them. Wow. Destitute and persecuted and mistreated. How did they go through destitute and persecuted and mistreated? How did they do that? Through faith. In who? The world was not worthy of them. Amen. They wandered in deserts and mountains and in caves and holes in the grounds. These were all commended for their faith. Listen to this. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Yet none of their circumstances turned out the way they wanted. Yet none, I, listen, I, and I'm almost done, and you know, trust me, Gus is coming back real soon, and I know he does a much better job at communicating God's word, but I just, I just want you to know, this is true. Not in their circumstances. They didn't see what God said. God said, Abraham, I'm going to make you as fruitful as the sands on the seashore. Meaning, he's going to have that big of a family. He's going to have that big of... Abraham died... Just a handful of kids. Didn't see it. But by faith, he goes, God, I trust you for things that are beyond my life. Moses, 
said, God, I'm, I'll do what you say. I'll go through the, I'll go through the Red Sea. I, I, I mean, I'll go, I'll, I'll go, I'll endure 40 years in the desert. He never did get to walk into that land. He never even stepped one foot on that land. Because his faith wasn't in the promised land. His faith was in the God King who had the whole world in his hands. Stephen, who was looking forward to the coming back again of Jesus, gives a sermon that all preachers are envious about. It's one of the most powerful sermons in all of the Bible. Stephen gives this short sermon and they throw large rocks at his face till he shuts up. And as he's dying, falls to his knees, looks up to heaven. And this is amazing. This is amazing. He goes, I see Jesus standing by the throne. Because our faith is not in what will happen. Our faith is not in this flesh. I don't know if you know. I don't know if you got the news. You will die. Your, your family members will get sick. People will lose their jobs. The things that you put your hope in will not come to fruition. Your life will not necessarily turn out the way you want it to. But our faith is not in this stuff. Our faith is in the risen Lord who rose from the grave and has conquered sin, the grave, and death, and who we can trust with all of our lives. Our faith is not in faith. Our faith is in Jesus. I want you so bad this week as you go on your way, that's what I want you to do. Lord, teach me what it is to persevere in Christ. And if you want to say that in one word, faith. Faith. That if, if the leg gets amputated, I get to see him in heaven. Faith that if the kid dies, Lord, you will mend this devastated Faith that if the health goes bad, that you, oh, oh man, I hope somebody can hear me. Faith, not in faith. Faith, not in circumstances. Faith, not in the details of your life, but faith in the only one who's worthy of our faith and our trust. So here's a question for you. Do you trust them? When everything goes bad. Do you trust him? My prayer is that that yes would be proved out during the difficult time. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word. And Lord, I pray that these who are here, and not only these that are here, but they would invite more, would come next week as you give us the three exercises to develop, grow our faith. Father, I pray that you would give us insights and that you would help us to be broken before you, knowing, O oh God, that unless you bear this faith, 
in our hearts. And Lord, forgive me, I didn't tell them who the author of faith is about Jesus, who gives us this faith, who died on the cross and rose from the dead so that we could have the Holy Spirit in us. Father, I pray that they would receive Christ. Holy Spirit enabled, obedient to your every word. I pray that their faith would be in Jesus, not in faith, not in their circumstances, but in the only one who was worthy of that faith. For we do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.